0: Welcome to the latest episode of Schnepps Connects. Today I have with me Ambassador Asaf Zamir, who's the Consul General of Israel in New York. In October 2021, Ambassador Asaf Zamir began his tenure as Consul General of Israel in New York representing the state of Israel to New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Ohio and Delaware the ambassador grew up in florida before returning to israel to finish his schooling he completed his national service in the israeli defense forces and went on to begin his higher education at tel aviv university where he received a law degree prior to becoming ambassador Zamir was elected deputy mayor of the Tel Aviv City Council and assumed all responsibility for the city's education system, one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Ambassador, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Very happy to be here in the city and on your broadcast.
0: Please tell us a little bit just more about your background, really what got you into public service and into this prestigious role.
1: I was always attracted to not... It wasn't the politics, but it was to being involved in society's everyday decision-making, representing. I was head of student body council when I was 15 at an ultra-democratic school in Tel Aviv. It wasn't for the politics of it, but it was for just uh, being involved. So I've always wanted to be involved, honestly. And studying law at Tel Aviv University, I uh, knew that I don't want to be a lawyer. That redirected me to start and establish a uh, what was then a young grassroots political party on a municipal level in the city of Tel Aviv in 2007. It was me and a bunch of friends that organized. It was the beginning of social media. We were the only ones that had Facebook. We sat around at a cafe in Tel Aviv. You know, there are many cafes in Tel Aviv and thought, wouldn't it be cool if we created a nonpartisan political power made up of only young people in the city running for city council to what we thought was uh, small volunteer positions on city council to better the lives of younger people in the city. It was 2007 or 8, and the city became very expensive. It was throwing out the younger population. We ran a campaign. It was the first campaign I ran. I learned through that that I also very much love campaigning and campaigns. And we did a good job. And that was the beginning. I became the deputy mayor of the city of Tel Aviv. I was 28. the youngest ever to become deputy mayor and very fast a very fast day i I fell in love with it i fell in love with the work and we were good at it as a group so we were able to do very good things in the city and after five years we were re-elected with a much larger number of seats on city council so we were a success story on a grassroots Avivian political level and then i ran for mayor after 10 years and lost and went national and uh, that started my tenure in Knesset, and then one thing led to the other, I became the Minister of Tourism, I resigned, I left politics, and then, what was that movie where they say, where he says, um, just when I thought I was out. I <laughs> they I pulled I out. you back in. So I was out, I joined the venture capital in Tel Aviv, started enjoying the good life, and then I got a call from the new uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs saying, I want you to go to New York, and as part American, growing up in Florida, with dual citizenship, an American mother in the United States very much, loving the idea of representing Israel at these very challenging times, I couldn't say no. Well,
0: see, that's sounds you have to be careful when you're so good at something. You get appointed to prestigious roles.
1: Thank you very much. I should have done this podcast a month ago. Month ago. <laughs> I'm sorry I waited this long.
0: Well let's talk a little bit about tourism because you mentioned what your role was with the ministry. And obviously Israel is on the top of the list for many tourists, but it's also really looked at by the world during the pandemic for getting much of their population vaccinated quickly. And then obviously the booster shots. What can you talk about in terms of travel now to Israel?
1: First of all, this I don't know if this shows up on my bio, but the during first year of the pandemic, I was a member of Israel's COVID cabinet. So I was a <laughs> 15 people that sat down every day for hours to manage the decision making on the COVID process, which at the very beginning, we got, we made some decisions that were groundbreaking. For sure. That the world learned from. We did get vaccinated very early. We did manage closing our skies pretty early, and we've always made that decision. And I know it's a decision that's angered many people, but the decision of trying to close our skies, uh, prevent people from entering on one hand. But then on the other hand, to have a lower list of limitations inside the country to hurt the business world, the least or the minimum possible amount to let life continue as much as possible was a decision we made and went through three times and it proved itself, I think, to be a good decision internally, domestically and financially. I know it kept a lot of people outside of Israel and then we have with his American Jewelry and Jewelry all over the world was heard by that. And I understand that. Of course, today as a consul, I understand that more than ever, but it was time for hard decisions to be made this year. And I think that the countries that made hard decisions were the ones that came out of the COVID the best. And I think sometimes you have, to, it's the, the most important thing is to have a strategy and to make sure you follow that strategy, no matter what it is, and to not make strong decisions and kind of meet things in the middle. That's what countries that were hurt the most by COVID did. We had a strategy. We went through with it. wasn't always perfect, but we, I think, when five or six or 10 years from now, when there'll be a list of countries that dealt with COVID and how they dealt with, Israel's going to be at a pretty high point in that list. I'm very proud of that.
0: Terrific. Talk about non-Israeli citizens that want to travel to Israel now. What What is required to be able to to travel. So
1: if it's a regular tour, if you want to come as a tourist for a week or whatnot, today, the best of my knowledge, but this changes a lot, and I don't know when this podcast airs, mm-hmm. so I, I want to give a disclaimer saying don't use this as traveling, right? But it's right now, anyone, right now anyone can come in. You need to show negative viral test the day before, antigen PCR, board a plane, and come on in. If you're coming in from something more substantial and need a visa, a country that needs a visa, or from for a longer period of time, that's different, and then I'd advise you to check on the website. But now, skies are open, anyone can come in for a visit, just need a test, and I encourage people to come, because the tourism industry, which in Israel, by the way, is a pretty small industry, could be much bigger, but it is an important industry for Israel, and it is important for Israel to maintain ties with the rest of the world, and when people have what we call boots on the ground in Israel, it's, it's good for the country, it's good for the economy, it's good for the relationship in both countries.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's pivot to talk about Israeli food, one of my favorite. Uh, and I feel like there's been a lot of Israeli restaurants expanding in New York. Maybe you could share some of your favorite Israeli restaurants, whether they're here or in Israel. And, and maybe in particular, what dishes you can share that you love.
1: Wow. So first of all, when you move from Tel Aviv to New York, the last thing you feel like is Israeli food. <laughs> I, don't I don't miss it enough yet to eat the Israeli food here, which I've had. There are some phenomenal Israeli restaurants here. None of them are as good as eating in Tel Aviv. Now, how you talk? I've heard people explain the New York bagel. Right. Not make the New York bagel outside of New York. Why? Because the water is not the same, right? So I've had Israeli hummus in New York and it was between decent to nice. (laughs) The water is not the same. Having said that, there is a big boom of Israeli restaurants in New York. The two... Uh, the three I've ate in last and are very famous, 12 Chairs.
0: Yeah, well, that's one of my favorites in Williamsburg.
1: Yeah, they also have one in Manhattan. When I was quarantined with COVID, I woke up one day and I felt like something that I think is very Israeli. We can talk about Israeli food to a large. It's a very interesting conversation because what is Israeli food, right? It's, it's a mix up of foods from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Other countries can say that's not Israeli. That's Moroccan or Polish or whatnot, right? So what I like is the Jewish versions. That's A. And the second thing is the Israeli melange. So the thing I woke up ordering from 12 Chairs, and I've also ordered from 19 Cleveland, which is also a great Israeli restaurant, is a pita with a schnitzel inside. This is my one of my favorite Israeli foods, and that really is our invention because schnitzel, I think, is Austrian, A pita is an Arabic uh, form of bread. But having them together, is if you've never had it good, you really should. When it comes out of the oil, very, very hot still and very crunchy. Put into a fluffy pita and that creates a hot, cold game and a crunch, soft game. And If you have the right dips in with it, a bit of hummus, a bit of what I like, a bit of hummus, a bit of kina, French fries, and a baba ganoush, like an eggplant, with the Trina or eggplant with the mayonnaise. That is terrific. You can add a bit of salad inside. I love it. I've ordered it from both places. Highly recommended both from Cleveland 19 and from 12 Chairs. And if you want to spend a bit more and to have a authentic, Tel Avivian party ambiance dinner, then there's a restaurant I've had a dinner at a few times here called The Salon. It's on 10th Avenue around 51st. Have you been there? No, I haven't. Oh, my God. You really should. well now. The food is phenomenal. And if you sit there second seating, meaning you order a table for 9 or 9.30, then it becomes a Avivian full-blown party with a DJ and people dancing on the tables and lots of alcohol. And it is guaranteed to be one of the best nights you've had in Manhattan for years. I promise. It's only open weekends. Wow.
0: Only. I love it. I'm getting hungry.
1: Let's <laughs> go going- we should have done this. We should have done this eating. I'm also hungry, by the way. What time is it?
0: Not it's even lunch time lunchtime yet. Not even close. But it okay. is brunch
1: time. Did you have shame. breakfast?
0: Of course, I always have my breakfast. What do you have? I keep it simple. I have a shake. You
1: and Eric Adams.
0: Right. I'm Did? a big Eric Adams fan.
1: You're an Eric Adams fan? Me too. Not because of the smoothies. I like it- him. <laughs> I'm, just like,
0: I'm Yeah. Hopefully for more certain-
1: I like it despite the spinach smoothie. I'd like it more if it was eating a cheeseburger but I love it. I yeah, I can see him do
0: that. That's for sure. I want to you- talk to you about anti-Semitism because it's been pretty scary in this city. You know, t- 2021 was not a great year for it. and very recently in Brooklyn there was really an attack on a couple of really little kids. So I would really love to hear your perspective on safety of of the Jewish people here and and really what role, you know, you can play in terms of communicating it or or how things in Israel are, are different.
1: That's the burden of being an Israeli diplomat. No other uh, international diplomat encounters. No other diplomat goes on a podcast and moves from smoothies and schnitzel to anti-Semitism and Holocaust in a in a riff of a, a one question. Right. So all our to all our listeners, we have reached the serious part. This I told my predecessors that I have inherited a very different New York than them, a much harder New York in, in, in relations to what it is being Jewish in this city, how safe it is to be Jew in this city, the relationship between Israel and New York and the, Israel and the United States. And major part of our work in the consulate and my tenure will have to be devoted to this because yes, this has been a record-breaking year in anti-Semitism. We have just finished a meeting. The last meeting we had before going on your podcast was analyzing yesterday's appearance by Whoopi Goldberg on The View, stating mm. that the Holocaust was white people killing white people and there was no racial uh, aspect. And she's apologized since then, which is nice, but it it, it is, it is um, it resonates. It is a symbol of the time we are at in which there is uh, distor- lots of distortion around Holocaust uh, remembrance, yes, around sure. history in general. And this, uh, this is, the distortion, um, I believe, generates violence. I believe promotes anti-Semitism to a point where it's not safe to go to shul. It's not safe to wear a yarmukah or a high necklace, bracelet, or whatnot. And this is New York, mind you, which has been the most Israeli-friendly and Jewish-friendly city in the world since I remember. Mm-hmm. So it's devastating, and we have a lot of work to do. On a bright side, I can tell you that since I've started my work here, I have encountered a very large group of true friends of Israel, and true friends of the Jewish community. And I think that we have a lot of allies to go to this war with. The war on hatred is the war on anti-Semitism in the United States. There's a song in Hebrew called Against the Wind, and there's a sentence that I love. It says, "It's always darkest before the sunrise. And... I think it might become even worse before it becomes better. But but, but you know what happened in Colleyville just two weeks ago, and exited and left the news cycle after a day or two, right? right? A day or two. So the, the the only optimistic thing I can tell you is that I really do see this as our primary job.
0: Good. I'm happy to hear it because I do believe that. You know, it's got to stay top of mind to people to understand that, A, it's unacceptable, and B, people will be held accountable.
1: Yes, and C, we do need to try and reunite American Jewry around this, because there is a big divide in American Jewry, in in some of the organizations, the people working around it, and there is a disconnect in the younger generation of Jews towards their sentiment, towards their own Judaism, and towards the relationship with Israel. And I think we need to use what we have here to strengthen the connection, the Jewish identity, and the and, and, and the, um, shared work between all sides and kinds of American Jewry. We can't tackle this alone or if we're divided.
0: What else have you experienced in your transition moving from Israel to New York that you could share? You talked a little bit about, obviously, this anti-Semitism that's been a priority for you, maybe not necessarily for past ambassadors because of the issues that have come up. We talked a little bit about culture. Is there anything else in terms of the move for you personally? That
1: well, there are personal there. There's personal notes and there's um, public um, issues. You know, I grew up in Florida and I've been to the states every year all my life. When, only when you live here and enter the news cycle and Twitter and start reading and talking to people, you realize the changes going. The United States are going through, and the changes the American people are going through. The fact that the country has become uh, as polarized as it has. And then certain aspects, we talked about anti-Semitism, but not just as violent as it maybe ever has. And it creates different challenges for diplomacy. Bipartisanship was very easy once. How do you promote bipartisanship in a country where there are two parties that don't agree about anything? How can you come back to becoming the one thing they agree about? That's a challenge, right?
0: Absolutely.
1: I think the United States are, you know, There's a tipping point all the world is going through, asking, am I a melting pot for people to come from all over the world and create a shared ethos and a shared story and a new beginning? Or am I a multicultural hub in which I celebrate what connects us, but what is different between each other? Mm -hmm. I think countries in the world in the United States is one of them are going through the process of asking themselves that question. That question affects politics. It affects diplomacy. It affects economy. And that is also a challenge, being here when this is taking place. On a personal note, moving into the United States as an Israeli is a very, very interesting experience. Because on one hand, you encounter a level of service, which is the best in the world. That's fun. There is no country with this level of service. On the other hand, coming from Israel, there's no, This is you, you encounter a country with the highest level of bureaucracy.
0: Interesting. And
1: bureaucracy and rules, highest level. So opening a bank account in, the, in Israel is pretty easy.
0: <laughs> there are other challenges. If I don't know if you've been to the DMV yet, but By the way, you wanna have to do that.
1: you have a problem, it's pretty easy in Israel.
0: Well, why don't you leave us off with one fun fact that you can share with us about Israel?
1: One fun fact. Back. does it have to be fun? What do you mean by fun?
0: Maybe something that people don't realize about Israel that you could share with us
1: I think people don't realize that Israel is really a very young country actually only writing its story at the beginning of its way mm-hmm. still defining itself In that aspect it's like the United States 300 years ago 200 right. years ago. right and it is very close to the United States. An aspect that I feel most people I meet here don't understand is, which is, it really is one of the most diverse places in the world. Because it's home for all Jews. Yes. And the Arab minority that that lived there when the country was established. So it is a mix of people you don't encounter in lots of places in the world. Ethiopians from Africa, Poles from Europe, Russians, South Americans, Canadians, really, all together. And you sit, I was a member of parliament three times, and you sit there and see the different people from different cultures trying to build something new, being challenged regionally all the time uh, with the security burden, walking around and being Jewish in the world. And that is something that uh, I encourage people to come to Israel because it's very hard to explain without seeing it with your own eyes.
0: Yeah, I have to agree. When I visited Israel, I was really... Shocked by the diversity. There is tremendous diversity, um, and inclusion.
1: Tremendous inclusion. That's the fun fact. You want to hear the not so fun fact for this podcast? Sure. We have better food. <laughs> you have more food. That's a thing. But we have better food. It's more precise.
0: Listen, my kids ate everything that came to their uh, table, so that was very impressive to see. So I will say that 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 statement is true.
1: So I want to I want to encourage everyone on. On your podcast, everyone listening. If you're going to Israel and you need a recommendation for food, this is my this is my best virtue. Feel free to write the consulate. We have a list. We'll give it out. It'll be the uh, consul's recommendations, and uh, you'll love it.
0: Well, Ambassador Zamir, thank you so much for your time being on the podcast and sharing. Uh, I
1: take, uh, Thank you very, very much.
0: Make sure to subscribe to Schneps Connects wherever you get your podcasts or stream us online at podcast.schnepsmedia.com.